Blog Talk Radio. The Marketing Technology Blog Radio Show with Douglas Carr, founder of the Marketing Technology Blog and author of Corporate Blogging for Dummies, online marketing strategies, web, search, social, email, mobile, news, tips, tricks, and best practices from actual marketers, search professionals, and social media experts. Can I get that change to media? Because we're always, always here all the time. It doesn't have to do with Doug Carr. It's been a, it's been a year a year since we started the show, I think. So maybe we'll get Paul Poteet to do that. I like the way he says actually. Actual. Actual marketers. Not fake marketers. Not, not, not zombies. No yeah, zombies. No zombie marketers. <laughs> well, we have a, we have a, uh, we always say special guest, but um this is this is special in a way, and that's that we have uh, Jody of, of Culture uh, RX on the line, who uh, who started Row uh, Results. Uh, well, actually, you know what? Let me let Jody tell her story. Jody, the last time we had you on, it was great, but I think we ran into some audio trouble. So let's let's go through and and your story is um, is just an amazing story about how you basically started with kind of a large corporation and helping um, build efficiencies internal and then turn, transform this really into a, into a movement that's taking off. Can you, you introduce yourself and let everybody know? I can do that, and thanks for having me back on the show. We did have technical difficulties, but look, we're just doing it again. I mean, that's, that's how it works. So, yes, um, I started the results-only work environment with my business partner, Callie Ressler, back in 2004 at Best Buy. And at that time, we were um, looking at the workplace and knowing that, you know, companies were trying to make the workplace better. And what they really needed to do was stop thinking about managing flexibility and and making a better workplace, but really flipping that to what does their workforce need to look like and really giving people complete control over their time to live their life the way they want to live them. So it was flipping that whole management-controlled a workplace and putting the the control in the hands of the people. So um, it is a global movement today, and we're going to keep going until everybody's free. I, I think it's just fantastic. It's such a it's such a different. You know, I think for us it was a little bit easy. I think to kind of jump into it, and that's and that's just because you know I had been through other process changes and movements before. You know, Deming and and. Um, yeah, I, geez, I can't even continuous improvement and Kaizen and yeah, Sigma. yeah, Six Sigma, Kaizen, yeah, all of them. And and you know what what I found to be most compelling all along was I was lucky enough to work for a company called Landmark Communications, um, who I found out doesn't own the Weather Channel anymore. That was kind of their big claim to fame, but they they sold it off. Um, but uh, the the leader at Landmark basically wanted to educate anybody who supervised anybody within the company. He wanted them to have full leadership capability. So he actually sent us all off in batches. The entire company, everybody who managed someone, um, went through corporate training and went through HR training, um, budget and accounting, uh, leadership. Um, it, it was just incredible what they what they put us through. And, and, uh, and he knew he was going to lose some people along the way that, that – you know, really just became kind of overqualified, let's say, for the position that they were in. But it, but at the same time, he knew that he was also building kind of an entrepreneurial workforce. And one of the things that really stuck with me during that time was I was a really, really young supervisor that I had, I had a team of um, eight people at first, and they were all older than me. Some of them were really senior guys. Um, you know, they were in their 50s and 60s and had worked at the newspaper their entire life. And here I was, some, you know, 26-year-old punk coming in the door, um, and I was in charge of them. And it it totally changed my perspective that I wasn't in charge of them anymore. It was basically that I was supposed to be their coach, you know, and and that my job wasn't to figure out, you know, what they were doing every day or how they were working on it, how to prioritize it. Instead, it was to help them kind of manage their day and to, you know, to really encourage them and knock down any barriers that they might have to getting the work done. 
And um, that, that stuck with me my entire life that I just, you know, I, I joke with people that it's why I got fired too, <laughs> you know. And that's, uh, you know, once you get into a work environment and you get that certain type of treatment um, where all of a sudden you're left to do, you know, what it is that they've hired you to do, um, it's hard to go back into a workforce where people are spying on you or controlling your hours or controlling what you're viewing on the web or, you know, uh, you know, all of the BS politics and everything else that come along with the office. So I, I know that was a long blab, but but it helped us gracefully just go right into a results-only work environment, and that's that, you know, now we have Marty and Jen and, and Steven and, and you know their job is just get it done, and and I don't I don't have to worry about whether they're getting it done or not. You know I think our biggest challenge is always just you know communicating effectively with one another and 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 making sure we're still you know working as a team well. Well, I think I think you're right, Doug. I think the hardest thing today is so many have that mindset where they come in, new managers and, and even older managers that have been managers. They really think they're managing the people. And the work is there, and that, but that's kind of secondary. And in a results-only work environment, you really are just managing the work. So it's thinking through what the work is and how to measure it, and then you're making sure that that happens. People don't think about work that way. They come in, there's the manager, the manager tells them when to come and go, the manager tells them what to do every day, and we're flipping that whole thing around. So... The, you know, the future, what managers are going to look like in the future is some of the things you're talking about. They're going to be coaches, mentors, you know, getting hurdles, you know, going, getting things out of the way, the, all the roadblocks, but they're not going to be managing more and work. They're not going to be managing people anymore. They're managing the work that's happening. And the next generation, that's what they're going to want. They're not going to be, you know, calling the next generation mobile, like even using the word mobile today, is already passe. I mean, what does mobile mean? Mobile means I'm not in the office, right? Well, what's the office? The office is just a tool to get work done. So why are we even using that word anymore? It's 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 passe, I think. No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, well, I mean, there's there's still the uh, you know there's still a large majority of the you know manufacturing sector or whatever that is punch in punch out and you know watch everything that you're doing in between. Um, but I, I agree with you. You know, the, the, even in those environments, I've seen. You know, my my dad was a, a productivity engineer in in like telecommunications plants and stuff, and and almost, you know, they always brought him in to build up efficiency with the workforce. And every factory that he went in, the first thing that he did was implement piecework, and that's where instead of people getting paid on an hourly basis, they were paid on a per piece basis. And and he said it he said it was always amazing and always funny that you know that basically someone would build five widgets an hour and they would get paid let's say ten dollars an hour so that's two dollars a widget and my dad would go in there and say let's pay them ten cents a widget <laughs> you know and, and 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 these you know all of these executives would have a stroke and say oh my gosh there's there's no way that we could you know manage that there's no way that we can pay these people that and not have, you know, a revolution. And and he said what always happened, you know, a couple weeks later was all of a sudden they were paying people, um, these people were doing 40 widgets an hour, <laughs> you know. Right. And and he said that most of most of the people that he put on peace work were making more than the managers and more than the supervisors. And then the managers and supervisors would start complaining about how much money they were making. And my dad would just stand there and shake his head, you know. Well, that just shows you how people are so set in, in what they believe about the way things should be. And, you know, you see that all the time. People are so focused on how much time something takes and using time as currency. So even when you look at industries that are doing billable hours, I mean, think about that. I mean, that's been around for a long time. And it's, you know, obviously if you're going to bill by the hour, you're going to take longer. Yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. you want to make more money, right? Whereas the other side doesn't want to pay that much. So they're, they're all saying do it in less hours. And so there's this, this sort of conundrum there that people are in, and nobody's really looking at, like you're talking about, what is the outcome? Like what's the result we're trying to achieve? 
And if we focused on that and put value on that, not weeks, you know, not by the every tracking every minute, but let's get to the outcome and place value on that. And you know, like you said, the people in the factory, you know, or or what your your dad was trying to do, they get they are motivated in a whole different way. You know, the the next generation isn't going to be motivated by the same things the boomers were, the corner office, climbing the ladder, the title. You know, they're on a whole different um, trajectory in terms of what they're going to do in their lives and how they feel about their lives and their friends and family. So um, walking into this sort of archaic backwards, come in and sit in a cube for eight hours, and that's when you do your work, just doesn't make sense. Doug, please tell your story about the client who says we're going to pay you by the hour. Oh, yeah. When, when I first started, Jody, you love this, that I, I had someone that, you know, I started this business just like everybody else does. I Okay, well, we have a set hourly, you know, rate that we charge people and everything. And, and so I, I had a I had a rate of $150 an hour. And, um, and one of the prospects that I was talking to, literally got offended. You know, he said, I, you know, he was like, there's no way in the world that I'm going to pay you $150 an hour. And and I said, oh, okay. I said, what do you think? Is a, <laughs> you know, what do you think is a decent, you know, hourly rate then? And he said, he said, well, probably half that. He said, you know, $75 an hour. And I said, okay, well, that's fine. It's just going to take me twice as long. Right. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, we're, we're focused on the wrong thing. <laughs> he, he scratched his head a little bit and never called me back. But, <laughs> but, but that was my point was why, why are you worried about when you don't even know how fast I can do the work, you're already troubled by, you know, an hourly rate. You have no idea what I can achieve in an hour, you know, and, and I, I think – you know the reverse of this, Jody, is that it's it's very um, enlightening and empowering to employees to understand the value that they bring in our organization too. And you know we're I, I think for so long, you know, since the you know probably the 50s or 40s, um, employees have been taught, you know, here's your bills. You need to make this much per hour to cover your bills. And so that's what they do. They set their expectation on, you know, I've got to go out and I've got to make $15 an hour. And regardless of understanding what kind of value they bring an organization. And and I see it even now today, even with young, you know, young people that are coming to us and they want to work, do work for us. You know, they, um, you know, there's a gentleman that, that we had code some regular expressions and he works for someone, and, and I, I told him, I said, well, the budget on this project is $150, and he was like, oh, my God, I, I can't possibly, you know, rip you off like that. You know, I, I, I'd probably have this done in 15 minutes. And I looked at him, and I said, are you kidding me? You know, I said, do you know how much that $150 is going to save me? You know, and I said, y- you stop thinking about what you think you're worth and, and start understanding what your value is you know, to, to me, your client, you know. And I think it's why a lot of businesses honestly go out of business is they don't, right. they don't, they, they're trying to, they're trying to be Walmart and instead of, you know, really looking at the value that they're bringing organizations and, and, and understanding that people are, are more than happy to pay more and, and get what they require. And uh, I think Roe fits, into that because it, it educates employees on what their value is and it educates the organization on, you know, what what it is, you know, to get those things done. And uh, it helps, in my opinion, all the way around. It absolutely does. I mean, people don't think of themselves, like they don't think about the value they bring into the organization. They think about the time they're spending there. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many things, I mean, obviously, you know, from, from our book, there's so many things wrong with that in terms of, you know, I put in my time, even if I don't have anything to do, I sit there till 5, you know, I'm not going to do anything after 5 o'clock, why should I? You know, I, I, there's all that stuff going on in people's, you know, psyche all day long about the time clock, and it's reinforced every day by, you know, how people talk about time in the workplace, you know, managers talking about how much time did you put on that, and what time did you leave last Friday, and saw you took another long lunch, and everybody's so focused on that. 
And what's frustrating to the employee, I think, and people coming into the workforce today is they don't want to just sit and put in time. They want to know what they're supposed to be doing. Like, I don't want to just sit all day long and sort of let let work come at me and, and not really know what's coming next and sit in a bunch of boring meetings. You know, it's, it's what do you want me to do, and I'll do that, and I'll do it well, but I don't want to be treated like, you know, I have to sit here for, for weeks and weeks on end um, to learn what it's like to be in the corporate workplace. The corporate workplace is going away. But so takes, why should I sit there and learn it? Yeah, and it takes different assumptions from a management standpoint, right? And that's that, you know, from a manager's point of view, you know, I think I think – um, inherently, what we've been educated in the past, and, and even through our current education system, is if you're the boss, you you have to be mistrustful of of your employees. You have to you have to know that you know they're 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 there to waste money and they're there to do all these things. When when in fact, the employee is quite different today in that they want to do a fantastic job. And it's usually you that are getting in the way of them doing a fantastic job. Yeah, I, managers, you know, when we talk to companies and we go in and work with them, they always say, what's the biggest hurdle? Like, what's the biggest challenge we're going to encounter in terms of becoming results-focused? And I say it's management. Yeah. And management has such a hard time. And, and I have to, you know, I have to sort of be on their side for a minute because I don't blame them. You know, if, if you're not really clear about what the work is and if people – are going to actually do it and it's measurable, you're going to feel uneasy. You're going to feel like, well, if they're not here and I really don't know what they're doing, right? then I just don't, I don't feel comfortable. At least if they're all here and they have on their work clothes and they look like they're working and they're going to meetings and they're carrying paper around, they're doing something that looks like work. And, and you know, sort of blowing that away, <laughs> it's like, okay, now what am I supposed to be doing? And that's the moment of truth. That's the moment that we can come in and say, you're supposed to be managing the work. How do you know people are getting the work done today, even if they come in the office every day? Right. Well, I really don't. You know, I really don't. I just, I, I, we're not that clear on it. Well, you know, a lot of my people are knowledge workers. We can't really measure that. Yes, you can. Right. Right now you're measuring it by using time plus physical presence. It looks like they're working there for something must be happening. But everything can be measured and everything can be tied to whatever our business goal is or an outcome for the organization. Everything can tie to it. And when you can tie to it and measure it, then that gives managers the platform they need to be able to start managing the work. And that's where all the technology stuff comes in. You know, how can I watch the work happening? Well, there's so many tools today, cloud-based applications, where I can communicate and see the work happening and I can have coaching conversations and all those things to help the work move along. And I can free myself from that sort of anxiety-ridden, you know, place I was before where I was looking all around wondering where people were and it's 5 after 9 and where's Doug and, you know, he's supposed to be here at 8.30 and all of that stuff that doesn't even matter. 8.30? You'll never see me at 8.30. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I better. <laughs> I love, I love uh, uh, Harry has a word for it. Presenteeism. Presenteeism. Yes. I, I absolutely. You got to get that in your next book, Jody. So. Oh well, guess what? You know we have presenteeism in our first book. Oh man. You'll have yes, you'll have to get back in there because you know I, that whole that whole thing about showing up but not actually being productive. The, the whole presenteeism idea. Yes, I'm with you on that one. There's so much of that. Eighty percent of lost productivity in the workplace is due to that thing we call presenteeism. So, yeah, it's <laughs> happening all over the globe. And those are the folks that just make life miserable for everybody else, too. They're the ones that report to the boss that, I don't know, I looked for him. I don't think he's here yet, you know. And, right. Oh, man. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here at, you know, 630 every day. Yeah. It's Jody. Like, so what? Jody, this is Marty Thompson. I I spent a little over uh, six years in Silicon Valley, and I worked with uh, one gentleman, and he would show up every morning, and one day I asked him, what are you doing here? Because I could never really see that he was doing anything until about 2 o'clock. <laughs> right. Right, because there's that whole thing about, you know, beating the boss in in the morning or, 
you know, just really looking like you're a hard worker. And just because you look like you're working hard doesn't mean you're doing anything, just like you said. It, it doesn't mean anything today. His response was that he was vesting. <laughs> vesting. Yeah. Wait. Wait, this is, this is Anita Baker. Um, I have a question for you. When you talk about the office going away, um, to me the office does perform, you know, kind of function in that, you know, you need kind of a social aspect or collaborative aspect or, you know, you bump into somebody in the hallway and I, an idea gets generated. Um, so, you know, for I think for um, organizations that are very collaborative in that way, um, you know, some of these tools can take the place of it from sharing, you know, content and results and things of that sort, but I don't know if they can fully take care of that kind of accidental, you know, discovery or that feeling of social connection. You know, that that's a, a great point. Um, you know, we talk about that all the time with companies and people, and it's actually going to be um, a big topic in our next book, but if you really think about that whole thing about the, the office, the office isn't necessarily going to disappear. People are still going to come into buildings to come together. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to necessarily be the default location. So today it might be default, and then you have all these things like remote workers and teleworkers and all these different things. And then they come in and they come in and out. But what's going to happen is we're going to start thinking of everybody as virtual, so everybody's virtual, and one of the places they might congregate is this building that is set up like an office. It has copy machines and different things, right? So it looks like an office place. But it won't be I have to be there every day. Now, the thing about those sort of serendipitous sort of hallway um, things that happen, if you think about that next generation, they're doing that all the time with texting and instant messaging and, and the things that they do sort of on the fly. So they're coming together um, spontaneously, and it just looks different. So one of the things I'd want to, you know, I'd want to caution people as they're thinking this through is we're not going to become less social. We're actually more social all the time. <laughs> so it's a different way to look at it. And, um, you know, I think some of the things that happen, like we were talking about presenteeism, another thing that happens in the workplace that's really frustrating for people is the constant interruption. Mm-hmm. So for one person, it might feel like a serendipitous, you know, look, and I got to come over and I got to start talking to you about my thoughts. To the other person, it's, stop bothering me right now. I'm trying to get work done. Mm-hmm. And so there's these things that happen back and forth that make it sort of a positive thing on the one hand, but then a frustrating thing on the other. And that's one of the things that slows down productivity. It's like throwing sand and bike in, in, the, in the gears of a bike. You right. just come to a screeching halt. So, um, you know, I get, the, I get the whole sort of physical thing, but people are still going to come together physically. But they'll do it on their own terms, not based on what the clock says. You know, it's, it's amazing when you think about it from a – you know, architecture standpoint too, and and the transitions that have happened over the years that we went from offices to cubicle farms, then we went to these collaborative grids, you know, with the the half cubicle, you know, and then <laughs> and then I've I've read that now people are going back to offices because of the interruptions, and then some cool places like Cha Cha has this hybrid of, you know, it's kind of like a honeybee comb. But they also have offices, you know, where they're open offices where people can just walk to. And if you're in there, it means don't bother me, you know, kind of thing. And uh, I I mean, I agree with you. I think it's funny that, you know, over the years we keep trying to fix this with new desk styles of desks. (laughs) You know, know, the answer answer isn't in the desk, you know, or, or, or how close the desk is. It's, it's, you know what the what how best the like I mean in our environment right you know I know right. Marty Marty you like to get here early I love to work late you know and um, and then Jen is she just works all the time so <laughs> but it's it's you know it's it's a cool combination and then I think for us it's it is more of a social thing that we like to come to the office just to kind of meet greet BS have some fun, and get out. We don't always want to feel like we're just, you know, just working. So the the irony is that our office, I think, is is more of a bit of a relaxation place than it is, a, oh, my God, we got to, you know, frustrated, get, thing, get things done. Mm-hmm. 
right. And and that's it's nice because you you've created that kind of culture and What's hard is for businesses that have gone through the, some of the things you're talking about, the cube walls are high, they're low, they're gone, they're all those things. There's something deeper going on that's creating the, the issues they're having. I mean, I like to, um, when I go into speaking gigs, I show this slide, and it's a picture of a 1945 you know, typing pool. Mm-hmm. And I say to people, that was the open workplace of 1945. Mm-hmm. We, haven't, we, have, you know, we haven't changed the thing. We went from the typing pool and then we innovate, innovation, right? The cube wall. Now we're going back to open workspaces again. So over the last 67 years, nothing's really changed. We've just keep reconfiguring um, the workplace. And what we need to do is we need to flip that notion of I have to keep trying to create the right workplace and create a workforce around what the work is and let people come and go into spaces but not um, try to force that to happen. And it's not like, you know, in your workplace, you're much more uh, free-moving, which is how it's going to be in the future. Yeah, a friend of mine's company implemented something similar to what you're describing. And what they did was they let the team kind of decide how they wanted to be, you know, how frequently they wanted to be in the office, how they wanted to communicate. Um, you know, they talked it over with their manager, um, you know, and all that. So there was kind of a consensus, you know, from a team standpoint. So that really suited the personalities. We, the people that were there and the kind of work that they were doing. We we even had that when I was working at at the newspaper again. We had customer service hours where these we had spans of hours and we understood production because the when the newspaper was getting created, that's when the most calls would happen and all of that stuff. But but the way that we allowed the folks to do it and we did it on the night side. They didn't do it on the day side because they were old buddy buddies. But but on the night side, the way that we did it was we said. Here's when the most calls are. Here's when those guys are leaving work, and here's when they're showing up to work. If you guys can cover that, figure it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and it was amazing that some guys, you know, there was there was uh, a, a lot of the guys liked the four day work week mm-hmm. when we did that. Some of the guys liked the six day where they they just worked like six hours a night, you know, mm-hmm. type thing. And it was it was pretty amazing how they fixed the problem, and all of them got what they wanted for time off and, and everything mm-hmm. else. And and uh, and and that was our vacation policy too. Was if you go on vacation, that's fine. Just get someone to cover your spot, and that was it. It wasn't the seniority that the youngest guy has to blah blah blah. It was someone would come in, and they all. They were all nice to each other about it because they knew someday they would need the favor returned. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it it created a little bit more, you know, even camaraderie, you know, in the mix as well. That that wow, we're you know we're the big boys now. We can take care of ourselves. Right. So right, and you know that's that's really what teaming is. It's when a manager orchestrates all of it that the team starts to break down. And I like what you're talking about because it's the team taking control of working together, how they need to work to get, get to the end result. And that's one of the things I like to say. It's, you know, people are working with each other across the globe. We're not always face-to-face. Sometimes we work with people that we never meet face-to-face. But our common thing that we have together is that we're working towards a goal. And I think that's how teams are going to come together and actually work together because that's going to be their main focus, not – who got to leave early, who got to come in later, who got to have Fridays off, you know, that kind of stuff is what gets in the way. And so focus on the one thing that that everybody can get their head around, and that's what are we trying to accomplish. And then the manager stands out of the way, but is there as a coach and mentoring guide. But let the people decide how they're going to do that on a daily basis. And then you know what? You don't need team building exercises then. (laughs) It happens. Right. Have you have you worked? Have you seen any differences um, in the ability to implement this um, way of way of working based on the product, on whether or not it's a service, whether or not it's a manufacturing environment, whether or not it's a particular kind of industry, um, or there certain kinds of um, work that is more adaptable to this approach than others? You know, actually, not. We've um, implemented results only work environment in you know your traditional office, so that we can understand. But we've also been in childcare settings and direct care, so nursing care. Um, we are going to be moving into a, a manufacturing area this fall. 
the thing that people um, don't realize, because we're all we're all sort of stuck on that notion that of flexibility. So how can I be more flexible in my work? But results-only work environment is doing kind of like what Douglas was talking about. It's it's coming in and helping people get attached to a to a larger outcome of the organization, and really understanding who the customer is. And it doesn't matter what kind of work you do; everybody can attach to that. So it's it's as simple as saying, you know, if I'm if I'm a bricklayer, I don't talk about my work as I'm a bricklayer. I'm laying these damn bricks every day. I say I'm building a cathedral. So I become part of a different kind of system. Mm. So as we go in, we get really tight with people on measurable outcomes. And we have found across the board that people are not clear about what they're supposed to be doing. It doesn't matter if they're in a plant, in a daycare setting, childcare, if they're in direct nursing, whatever that is. There's a bunch in the way of you know, time and, and people, you know, sludging each other and, and all that kind of stuff that's getting in the way, and people don't really know how to measure results. So once you get people there, then the ownership, the accountability becomes what drives them every day. And there are certain things that, like you said, have to happen in a certain place. So if I'm a zookeeper and I have to feed the animals, I can't do that from my house. I actually have to come and do it in a place. But I own it, and I know exactly now how I'm going to measure if how I'm doing it and when I'm doing it is actually going to give me the results that I have agreed mm-hmm. to, and we can measure it. So it, it can work in any any type of work anybody does. People can be results-focused. Right. Well, let's, let's take a break. Uh, we'll do an ad from uh, Deliver. We'll be back on in one minute. Delivera has been providing email software and professional services for more than 13 years. Delivera helps businesses and organizations execute effective email marketing campaigns by providing dynamic software and professional services, from full-out consulting engagements to help when you need it in areas such as design, production, deliverability, and testing. Voted one of the 2011 Best Places to Work in Indiana and one of Inc. 5000's fastest growing companies. Delivera partners with businesses and organizations across all industries and verticals and truly opens its doors each and every day to put the customer first. To learn more about Delivera, visit www.delivera.com or call 866 866- 9159465 Tell them you heard about Delivera from the Marketing Technology Blog. So uh with Jody from uh Results Only Work Environment, um one of one of the things that uh I was thinking as you were just talking about that was I think a lot of people say, Well that can't work for my business because of ABC, you know, and and one of the ones I was thinking about was, you know, like manufacturing where you have these assembly lines where someone, you know, someone puts the wheel on, the next person screws it in, the next person down the line. And we were visiting a, uh, there was an actual client down in, um, I don't know where it was, Greenfield or something, so way out in the boonies. And they build these these quarter million dollar tractors. And um, and so I, I asked, you know, if we could do a, a tour of the factory floor, and 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 the guy brought us down there, and I just love manufacturing. I, th- I think it's just incredible, especially these mammoth machines that they're building. And and I started to look around, and there was maybe like five guys on the manufacturing room floor. And I said, so you know, how many do you roll out? And he said, well, we roll out like one or two a day, you know. And I was like, oh my gosh, like you, you got like five people in here building these things. And he said, well, every person on the team can build the tractor from the ground up. Every wow. single every single thing. And he said, and that way that way we don't have to worry about it. We just do what it takes to get the tractor done. And so they really don't have like an assembly line. They just have these stations where they build the tractor from the ground up and then roll them off of the uh, off of the floor. And and it's one of those, you know, like paradigms that I think I, I hate to use that word because it was such a cliche word for so long, but it really is a paradigm that you need to break even in your own in your own office and 
handoffs are where the most inefficiencies typically happen in any work environment. I don't care what you're doing, whether it's consulting or whether it's building a tractor. And you know, these people got rid of the handoffs and basically just, you know, hired higher, um, you know, highly motivated people that understood from front to back what needed done to get it done. And uh, and I just thought, man, I was just blown away that they were doing that. And and I I wonder if you know, if that's one of the things that you run into all the time, well, we can't do that because, you know, of these right. dependencies. Oh, I hear that all the time. And I just have to say that I am, I'm in my house right now and I'm dancing a jig because what you're talking about is exactly how our results-only work environment starts to play out with people. So in your, that situation where they all knew how to build that particular thing, everybody could build it, right? Yeah. So what happens when we go into organizations is we will have people say, you know, they kind of wear this badge of honor. Well, I can't really, you know, take time off because I'm the only one that can do this thing, right? And I, I look at them and I go, is that really good for your organization? Like, wonder if you, you know, got in a car accident, what would happen? And, and people sort of hold on to their, their thing up that they hold uh, that, you know, they, they can say, look, I'm this important here because I'm the only one that can do this, and they hold information in. But in a results-only work environment, everybody is, like you're talking about, part of a team of people that needs to get to a common goal. And what we found is a lot of cross-training just starts to naturally happen. So you're not worried about if somebody you know, goes off the grid for a little bit because they get strep throat or, or they are going to go to their child's soccer game or anything. You don't worry about that because the team is all working together towards that one outcome and each other all the time. So you're absolutely right that that sort of dropping the baton doesn't happen anymore. And Jen and Marty, yeah. you're going to start programming now. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Jody, have you um, are you familiar with someone by the name of Jennifer Mueller? I'm sorry. You know what? You just sounded like a Martian. <laughs> Can you repeat the grin? Um, well, there is. Maybe, maybe you are a Martian. I think I am at times. There is <laughs> Jennifer Mueller is a she is an assistant professor at Wharton, and she's done some really interesting work with some researchers at Cornell. And one of the last research papers they put out, they showed that that um, in a, in a corporate setting, that people that perceived as being highly creative and probably somewhat introverted were also yep. were also perceived as having very low leadership potential. And yet, other studies have shown that that highly creative, slightly introvert, introverted people are the kinds of people that actually get really great work done. So do you think that the whole concept of row um, is also another way to sort of uh, free people up from, you know, the constraints of, of, uh, of group, if you will, and to really let, you know, every single person, like, shine from, you know, their capabilities? You know, it, it, it does. And I think what's so interesting is, when you're looking at some of these the studies and, and things people are saying about, well, this type of person might not have the leadership skills or whatever that looks like, it depends on what you're defining leadership as. So if I'm somebody that, you know, has a great idea or, you know, I have um, good connections even though I'm introverted or whatever that, whatever that means, it doesn't mean that I can't at any given time have people follow me based on what the work is. So a leader doesn't have to necessarily be a hierarchical thing. And and it can be something that you sort of come in and out of, depending on the work that you're doing. I think what happens in, in results-only work environment is people don't sort of default to that politicalness of the workplace. So let me give you an example of that. So let's say that I'm in a typical hierarchical workplace, and I go to a meeting, and it's a brainstorming meeting. Well, I might have a really great idea because I'm creative but I'm low down in the organization. And when I get in the room, two other people that are higher up in the organization and are really close to the big guy or big person, um, they give an idea. Well, I'm not going to say my idea 
because now I feel stupid. And I feel like it wouldn't be the right political move for me to blurt out, well, you know, that's great, you guys, but look at my idea. I might think of that as, as, as you know, death, the death spiral for myself. So what happens in a, in a results-only work environment is that hierarchical system that's political, where it's from the top and it, and it rolls down, starts to flatten out. And so I feel different about putting an idea forth if I'm asked, if everybody's asked for an idea and I can throw it out on the cloud and everybody can see it, I might, I might feel differently about how I approach um, that. So you're absolutely right. Results-only work environment breaks down some of that political stuff that's happening because people are more aligned to, uh, to an outcome. And that's where that teaming comes in that we talked about a little while ago. It's not about your weighted business card. It's not about you've been in a you know, workplace 30 years longer than me. That, that's, that doesn't matter anymore in a results-only work environment. It's performance, and that's, and that's all it is. Jody, could you talk a little bit about people? Here at DKM Media, it's been a fertile ground for, for role. But uh, I'm thinking back to what Marty uh, spoke of, his, his buddy in Silicon Valley who showed up at 6.30 and said he was vesting. And so certainly that would be a little more difficult uh, situation for Roe. Help, help me understand how how you deal with some of the people who are currently gaming the system and and how you kind of overcome or, or deal with people who don't have the best interest of the organization in their heart. And so I'll let you speak to that. Yeah, that is a great question. So. Um, first of all, that whole notion of showing up is interesting because sh- the person that said I'm showing up, I'm vesting, right? So showing up in a results-only work environment doesn't look like a place. So if I'm showing up, I can be anywhere. Showing up just means I'm, I'm, my brain is on. I'm thinking about the work, whatever that looks like. But that whole gaming thing, the interesting thing about results-only work environment is that game, both games that people play in terms of, you know, putting in time and showing up early and, and you know, golfing with the, the boss and, you know, hobnobbing around, that kind of stuff starts to go away because people don't get recognized for it anymore and they don't get rewarded for it. So in a results-only work environment, you get rewarded for hitting measurable results, period. Now, what's funny about that? is the people that have been gaming all along, putting in their time, rubbing nail bolts with the right people, they soon realize they're now in a place where they, they're not getting kudos for that anymore. So the whole culture, the political climate of the workplace starts to change. And who gets rewarded are the people that are hitting their targets. It's interesting because you'll probably um, be able to, you know, sort of relate to this. So I was uh, at a, a large company and we were at this big team meeting, and I'm in the room, and the, the VP's up there, and he's going, you know, let's give it up for, I'll just make up a name, Megan. Megan comes in every day before anybody else, and I swear she turns the lights off at night. Megan is here more than anybody else, and now she's going to get an award. And I'm sitting back there going, what did Megan do? <laughs> like, besides come in before everybody else and stay later and turn off the lights. And so that's the whole flip right there. Megan is not going to get rewarded anymore for that because it's meaningless. So that's where that sort of gaming will go away. So do you frequently see the Megans leaving the organization or or changing their behavior? I generally see them change their behavior. And it's, it's interesting, there's a very small percentage of people Less than 5%, closer to 1% that say, I'm out of here. Because even the people that are, you know, in that situation where they're getting rewarded for coming early and staying late, they don't really feel that good about themselves. They know they're gaming it. And so it doesn't, really deep inside when you're sitting alone in your room with your eyes closed, it doesn't feel good. What feels good is being, waking up and feeling really energized about hitting, hitting your goals, 
you know, really making making a difference, knowing you're accomplishing something, you know, you know, sort of um, watching your life pass you by as you watch the clock ticking every day isn't what makes people feel good. <laughs> so generally people come up that. to the plate. We've seen some of the lowest performers rise to the top. Because <laughs> they just they, they get attached to something that they can they can actually get a hold of. And they feel good about it. I so think, you know, I, I, I honestly think it's it's one of those things that what you guys are doing though is re educating companies and re educating leaders that you know, you're you're taking people out of an education system that teaches them the other though, right? You show right, exactly you right. show up to school on time. You have to get good grades in every grade if you want to, you know, succeed. You can't just be, you know, an incredible mathematician or English major. You know, you've got to, you've got to, you know, you've got to get a B in said too. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> you know, I almost think that, you know, and now, now we're running into problems where we're overloaded with college degrees. You know, so kids are coming out of college and they're expecting a, $75,000 job and the only ones open are $30,000 jobs. Right. And and um you know I think I think someone's got to take take a good look at you know how we're preparing people you know and say and start to say you know what don't worry about not being good at math. You're fantastic at you know whatever it is physics. You know let's let's go in that direction and let's push this person in that direction. And it's unfortunate, but you know, I see it with my own kids. I see that happen in college, but but in high school and grade school and elementary school, it was totally the opposite. You know, it was it was all about attendance and you know um, just just passing everything. You know, not not right. not failing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In fact, I just read an article. I can't remember where it was, but it was about this person who was like a senior in high school and got like the best attendance of life award, you know, missed one day in 12 years. <laughs> and I thought, okay, yeah. you know, what does that really mean? It's so sad. And, you know, we're teaching kids right from the beginning to, to show up, right? I'll reward you to just show up. And that's exactly what you're talking about. It's so, it's so insane. And we're, we're just training people to do that. And then they come to the workplace and it's the same thing. They're just all out time each other. And, you know, I mean, waxing philosophically, but now we're getting to a point where, you know, these people are retiring and their retirements are gone and Social Security is in trouble and everything else. They're going, wait a second, I showed up for 40 years. Right. <laughs> you know, what, 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 you told me that this would be here, you know, and, <laughs> and, and it might not be there anymore. Wow, it, it, yeah. it's 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 interesting. Well, hopefully the world, you know, I look at my son and I, I I'm always optimistic when I look at my two kids because they seem to to get it. You know, I mean, Doug Thies' yep. son is the same way, and I'm sure your daughter, you know, you 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 think that the world is just going to end when you start to get older, but then you start to look at your kids and you're going, wait a second, they get it, and I didn't get it when I was that age, but they're they're starting to pick up on this stuff. Oh, they absolutely are. It's there, there's um, lots of studies out there just about how the, the brain brains are different, just because of how they were stimulated differently than the boomers were. I mean, I have this picture in one of my presentations with this little a baby laying by a typewriter and looking at the keys, and another baby laying next to a laptop or an iPhone. I mean, it's just it's a whole different world, and I think we've come such a long way in so many areas, but the workplace has lagged way behind. We're still acting like we're in 1950, and we're acting like we have, you know, telephones with cords, and we do have telephones with cords. <laughs> so um, we're just not we're not keeping pace. And I think what we have to do is really help companies start focusing on what is the work and how to measure it, and stop trying to manage the people's time. That's where we're getting into trouble because then everybody's, you know, trying to. Um, do more time or do the time right or get attention in a different way and they're all fighting about who's getting off early and it, it's just, it, it's meaningless today. The next generation isn't going to play that game so um, the sooner companies realize that, the better off they're going to be in attracting talent and, and maintaining that talent. 
have you have you read the uh, the reference guide that uh, Netflix CEO uh, Reed Hastings put out called Freedom and Responsibility Culture? I did not read that. My gosh, I'll I'll send it to you. It, but it really I think everything you are describing. Um, they're a company that I think has really put a lot of that into practice. Well, and I think the the beauty of what I appreciate about Jody and, and Roe is that uh, she's codified it. And so there, yeah. there are a lot, I shouldn't say a lot, but there are, are a number of anecdotal situations and, and stories, but what I especially appreciate is how it's been codified. There are others to follow and, and the template. Yeah, I totally agree. Just having that framework there and people on the back end to assist you with, you know, it doesn't feel like you're just running wild. And we still run into problems, right? I mean, we still, our our biggest challenge to date is, is still, you know, the systems can't do exactly what we want them to do for monitoring. And, and communication is just, you know, one of those things that, you know, setting expectations as far as how we communicate effectively with one another is is still one of those challenges that we're rubbing with. But I have no doubt that we're more I, – I know we're more productive because when, you know, I was, I was joking the other day that, you know, our, our poor developer, Stephen, I'm always calling him up every night at like 7 o'clock and just saying – Dude, I'm sorry, but this has to be done by tomorrow. <laughs> you know, and the funny thing is, is then we start working with companies, and and um, I realize the speed at which Stephen is moving internally. Sometimes we think, oh, this has taken way too long, but externally, I'm working with these companies where they go, well, we started that project four months ago, <laughs> and I go, right. oh my gosh, Stephen would do that in three days. You know. And I and I kind of lose sight of the you know the 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 scope of of what we're achieving sometimes. Well, and and I think you need to remember you're swimming upstream from a cultural standpoint. Yeah. It, it's not going to be easy. This is an anomaly. You know, there are systems. I mean, it, right? There's no support systems right. outside I mean, you're, of Rail. You're, it's not like all these companies that we're working with are not like that. Yeah, I mean you're you're in a pioneering effort, and and for that we will sacrifice somewhat, but the the rewards more than outweigh the yeah the downside. Well, speaking of that, Jody, do you want to talk a little bit about your next book and when it's coming out and how people can get a hold of you? Yes, I would actually. Um, people can get a hold of us by just hop on our website, goro.com, G-O-R-O-W-E.com. And we're actually launching a new site in July, and we're really excited about that. But the book, too, is going to be, um, think of it as the field guide to the first book. So we're going to slow it down a bit. We're going to get in the weeds. We're going to give uh, managers much more prescriptive uh, tips on how to begin creating this results-only work environment that we talk about. So it's making it a little bit more on the ground and things that managers can try on a daily basis to start moving away from managing people's flexibility and moving towards really getting clear about the work. So we're excited about it. Um, it's coming out in January, and uh, we still don't have a title, but we're hoping to have one in a couple of weeks. So if people want to hop on the site, um, what we'll be talking about the book, we're probably going to have Chapter 1 as a download and not too far in the future, probably a couple months. So um Hopefully people will come and visit us, and uh, we're excited about the new book. Well, the first one was Work Sucks, so maybe this one could be like, it's getting better. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, the working the working title is Why Managing Sucks and How to Fix It. <laughs> oh, nice. I like yeah. that. Maybe it's, well, boss, maybe, maybe it's Why Bosses Suck. <laughs> and how to fix them, right? <laughs> Do we have time? Yeah, we questions. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. We got time. Jody, um, if you would speak to the hiring manager for a moment, and you know, so you we have a work, you know, a row work environment. If you are are hiring a new employee, to what degree do you want to take into account as you're screening people? 
somebody that's going to to adapt well and flourish in in this environment because I you know not everybody will can, can flourish in the environment. So could you just address that for a moment? Yeah, that's a really good question, and you're right. If if people are coming in and they feel like they want to quote-unquote punch a clock, it's going to be difficult for them. It could be to move into this type of environment, but what you want to do is you want to, even in the interviewing process, be talking about the kind of company that you are. You're talking about that we focus on results. We get really clear with everybody about how we're going to measure that, Um even when you start working, here's the funny thing, you know, in a traditional workplace, you'll come in every day for a while and you don't know what you're supposed to do. You have no clue. Like you just got hired and you don't know what to do and you feel all uncomfortable. <laughs> so in a results-only work environment, you would start right off the starting gate knowing exactly what you're supposed to do. You might, it might be something like, you know, over the next three months, I want you to learn more about the company. I'm going to have you connect with these four people. I want you to learn about their jobs. I want you to learn about what they're trying, what they're doing for the company, how they're measuring results, and report back to me. Now, here's their email addresses. Here's their phone numbers, and let me know how you're doing. And so you're you're giving them something right out of the starting gate, so that they can get their teeth into something and start learning and growing, and and not just sitting around putting in time. I think that. Um, People are very attracted, so you have a good question. People are very attracted to this environment because people want to be treated like adults. And I think you're going to find most people are going to want to work in this type of environment as long as they can uh, feel that they're being mentored and coached and have somebody that they can, um, you know, connect with, ask questions to, whatever that looks like. So what we have also found is that managers, that are managing in a results-only work environment, they get it. So when they're, you know, interviewing people and bringing them on, they just have a whole different way of talking about the work because it's not time-based anymore. So um, we have them put together, and it's actually a good idea, some of the things that um, you could look for in terms of how people are going to adapt to this type of situation. Um, Might be a free download on the site coming up. So good question. Well, we we worked with uh, New Focus HR. I know when when we did our when we hired Jen and and you know the way that we did it was basically we went back to a couple different employees that I had worked with before, and uh, and created a custom profile just based on their you know their work habits, behavior, likes, dislikes, things like that, and and then basically matched Jen up against. Poor Jen went through. Tons of testing before before um, <laughs> yeah she she was I think she was ready to just quit before she started um, <laughs> but but it but, but so I, you, you were already thinking that way so well that's I great. knew I knew that with the workload that I personally had I I couldn't supervise it was it wasn't an option you know and so I needed someone that was a self learner and self motivated and wanted to do a good job and wanted to feel good about the work that they were doing. And, 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 and trust me, I mean, not everybody, you know, not every employee has that intent. Some of them expect supervision. Some of them expect educate, formal education. And some of them, you know, they won't go just digging through and, and trying to find the answer. So it was really important for us to get that, that match. And, and I think, you know, it, it definitely helped make row easy to implement here. Right. And you know what's interesting, too, what you're talking about, it's very important that the culture matches what you're saying. So when Jen came in, you already had that type of culture where you needed people to self-start and do all those things you're talking about. If you say we want creative, you know, motivated people who are going to, you know, be self-starting and all that, and then you bring them into a traditional culture, yeah. They're like, I'm out of here, right? And so companies tout this kind of stuff, and then they bring you into 1952. So um, what you're talking about is, you know, you're, you already have the fertile ground in your culture, and then as you bring people in using some of your, the way you profile, it matches, and that's, that's awesome. I, I, always knew, I always knew when I was interviewing with a company whether they were going to actually let me do my job or not, because I would always ask them, what my allotted budget would be. 
And and as soon as you ask that, that's the the companies that that are going to let you do what you want say, oh, your budget per year is X dollars or whatever, and here's the expectations on revenue associated with it. And the companies that that aren't going to let you do anything, or the president approves every single expense, would always say, well, we'll we'll, we'll talk about that, you know, once once you're on board, and we'll. <laughs> and it was always. Yeah. That was always like a key indicator to me that uh oh, right. <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm, yeah I'm gonna be another employee. I'm not if they're not gonna let me make a purchase decision, how am I possibly gonna you know help change the how are they gonna give me any other leadership you know opportunities? So exactly well, right. well, thank you so much for joining us. This is this is it's always just a, a fascinating conversation with you, and we really. Really appreciate it. And if there's anything we can do, um, if you need some case studies or anything on uh, how to do everything wrong, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, uh, if you need any case studies, especially since we're such a, a small, you know, business. Um, and by the way, we'll 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 make this. Uh, we haven't made this announcement, you know, on the web or anything, but we're actually hiring our first overseas employee, and he'll start on the 25th. So. Talk about the ultimate row employee. He, uh, you know, he's not checking into anywhere. He's in India. So that is awesome. Yeah, so we're we're excited about that. Yep, you really opened up your talent pool, didn't you? <laughs> it can be anywhere. Uh, well, absolutely. And, and you know, one of the challenges of a small business is obviously, you know, cash flow and how much we can pay people. And um, you know, we we just we just couldn't afford the talent locally yet. You know, so we we had to make this decision instead. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jody. And again, everybody, GoRow.com, and uh, and your Twitter handle, Jody. It's at Jody Row. Awesome, awesome. All well, right, thanks for having me today. Absolutely, can't wait to read the book. Thank you. All right, talk to you soon. Connect with us anytime at marketingtechblog.com. And from there, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Tech Blog.